0: Well, I wonder if you began to hear in those psalms a theme, a theme of Thanksgiving. And I'm pretty convinced that the U.S. holiday of Thanksgiving is the most God-honoring national holiday that we have. A friend of ours who moved from Australia, they were in our church there, now they're in the U.S., Um, the mother, uh, the wife and mother, said this in a, a, a blog that she writes. She said, this was our first Thanksgiving ever here in America. Um, can I just say what a fantastic, God-honoring holiday Thanksgiving is? To think that an entire nation sets aside one day to share a meal with family and loved ones and to take stock of the things in their life that they are thankful for. How easy it is to go on with the humdrum of day-to-day life and never take a minute to stop and consider the great many blessings that we have been granted in our life. But here is a day called Thanksgiving to do just that brilliant. Of course, it's not just on the fourth Thursday of November that we are called to give thanks. And God's Word calls us to give thanks. And if the Lord is willing, we're going to look at Psalm 107 uh, over this uh, Lord's Day, this morning and this evening, next Lord's Day morning. And then if the Lord is willing, at the end of August, we'll take up the last two sections of that psalm and consider this call to give thanks. So please open your Bibles with me to Psalm 107 if you haven't already. And you would have heard, I think, in the praise that we offered to the Lord, this theme in Psalm 105, Psalm 106, Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 105. Praise the Lord, O give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 106. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 107. Uh, Somewhat of a trilogy, even though they're divided by the the division of the Psalter. Psalm 107 begins the next, uh, the last book of the five books of the Psalter, but in these three psalms, in Psalm 105, there's a picture of Israel's experience from um, Abraham to the Promised Land. <laughs> then in Psalm 106, there's a picture, sadly, of Israel's unfaithfulness in that time and their exile to Babylon. Psalm 107, it seems to be an expression of thankfulness for to God for delivery from that exile, and it is a call. To give thanks over and over and over. At least five times we have this phrase, oh, give thanks to the Lord. But it's a call to give thanks not primarily by way of command. It's a call to give thanks primarily by way of recounting God's goodness to his people. And so my aim in this morning and in these five messages is to encourage you to give thanks to God by way of recounting God's goodness to you, His people. And so listen as I read the first portion of Psalm 107, verses 1 through 9. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from trouble, and gathered in from the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. Some wandered in desert wastes, finding no way to a city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted within them. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way till they reached a city to dwell in. Let them thank the Lord for His steadfast love, for His wondrous works to the children of men. For He satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. Having heard from God, let us seek him in prayer. Please join me in your hearts as I lead us. God, would you open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word. Would you show us the many wonderful things you have done for us. Might we, even in this passage in what we call the Old Testament, might we see Jesus, our Savior. And might we indeed give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We pray in Jesus' name amen. Well, if there's a call to give thanks, it's not outside of the realm of real, uh, realistic expectation to find out who it is to whom we are to give thanks. And the call is to give thanks to Yahweh, to the covenant God, the Lord in all capitals in most of your English translations of the Bible. Uh, the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday, even in this Weakening Christian culture has been and continues to be a call of giving thanks to God. Let me read this first Thanksgiving proclamation. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to him for benefits received, and to implore such Father blessings as they stand in need, further blessings as they stand in need of, and it having pleased him in his abundant mercy, not only continued to us the innumerable bounties of his common providence, and it goes on, and then the last portion, it is therefore recommended to the legislative or executive powers of these United States to set apart Thursday, the 18th day of December next, for solemn thanksgiving and praise that at one time and with one voice the good people may express their grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, and that together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor, and their humble and earnest supplication, that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance, that it may please Him graciously to afford His blessing on the governments of these states respectively, and prosper the public council of the whole. Not the first declaration of thanksgiving, but the codification of that in American history and in American law. You see, it's not a natural response to give thanks to God. Left to ourselves, and sometimes even when we are in Christ, we tend to think we've done it ourselves. We've accomplished this. I know there have been some graduations here. We had some at the seminary a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes you get through and accomplishing something like studies and think, I did a good job here. You know, don't don't sprain your shoulder patting yourself on the back. But the natural response is to think, yeah, I did okay. I did pretty good. Well, I, I did this myself. And yet the call of the Word of God is give thanks to the Lord. I don't spend a lot of time on Twitter these days. I have at various times in the past. And I retweeted a a tweet by Chris Larson from Legionnaire Ministries, a quote from G.K. Chesterton. And the quote said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he feels a profound sense of gratitude and has no one to thank. And I got a response from Peter. I am the atheist Pete. Said, Ed Blackwood, what's your point? And I said, Peter, just that you deny the existence of the one whom you could thank for beauty, love, life. And I am the atheist, Peace Pete replied, Thank your parents for giving birth to you so you could witness that beauty. Thank the one who loves you. And I don't tend to carry on these conversations for long, so I didn't say this, but the thoughts that I had in response to that was, Who do you think that you were born? Who do you thank that you have parents? Who do you thank that there is beauty? Who do you thank that someone loves you? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Who should you give thanks to? You should give thanks to the Lord. And why should you give thanks to to God. Well, it's summarized because he's done many wonderful things for the people of God. I'm going to mention four things, but I have a question for you children. You don't have to answer it out loud. I mean, I don't care if you do, but we might both get in trouble. How high can you count? Even though I'm fairly old now, I can remember an awareness that I could count to 100, but I didn't realize I could count past 100. But you just take 100 and go back to 1 and add it to it. So how high can you count? How many wonderful things that God has done for you and your brothers and sisters and your moms and dads and this, the church of Jesus Christ here at Springs Reform, how many wonderful things can you count? You might want to think about counting them. You adults might want to do that as well. I'm going to give you four of these wonderful things that are expressed in the text before us. The first is we give thanks to God for his glorious perfection. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. Jesus reminds us there is no one good but God. My kids would probably tell you how tired they got of me saying to them when I said, how are you, or someone said, how are you, and they said, I'm good, and I would say, there's no one good but God. (laughs) Now dads can say the wrong thing sometimes. We recognize that there is a, a qualitative and a quantitative goodness that we may have, especially those of us who are in Christ, all retain some measure of goodness being made in the image of God. But ultimately, when you talk about ultimate goodness, it is God alone who is good. or What I have called His glorious perfection. God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. God is holy. In Him, there is no sin. God is truth. In him there is no lie. God is beautiful. In him there is no ugliness. God is excellent. In him there are no flaws. Give thanks to God for his glorious perfection. And as we see throughout this psalm, this gloriously perfect God relates to imperfect me and imperfect you. Imagine, if you will, think of your favorite sport or your favorite hobby. Maybe you do it well. Maybe you don't really tell anybody because you don't do it very well. But imagine with me, if you will, that someone who was the best at that that you knew of offered to personally teach you so that you could play that sport or do that hobby better. At the very least, you would be filled with thanksgiving to them. They're not perfect, no matter how good they are, but they might be a lot better than you and me. And if they offered to relate to you and to help you, you would be overcome with thankfulness. What has God done for you? Count those things up and give thanks to God for his glorious perfection. But secondly, and this extends this reality that God, the perfect God, relates to us. Give thanks to God for his eternal his mercy, his loving kindness, his affection toward us. I don't know the circumstances of most of your lives, but I'm sure. But you know loss. You have known loss. You have known pain. You have known sorrow. Perhaps it's estranged family members. Those who were once close. Or maybe never were. So you perhaps have known either personally or in family relationships the pain of divorce. Of abandonment. Of the death of loved ones. The love and the care and the affection that once was there is gone. R.C. Sproul, in his book on marriage, writes about the pain of divorce. My parents were divorced, so this always hurts me to think about And yet God, in his mercy, brought not a restoration of their marriage. But a rest. But Sproul says, divorce is the one who knows you best. Saying, I don't like what I know about you anymore. Maybe you've had that pain. Maybe it's just the pain of death, the, the loss of a loved one that if they're in Christ and you're in Christ, you will see again. But it doesn't immediately lessen the pain of today. God's mercy, God's affection, God's loving kindness toward us is forever. Forever. It will never fail. It will never end. It will never grow weary. It will never be withheld from the people of God. God's mercy will never not be there for you if you are in Christ. And it will be with you forever. In the Lord's providence, we drove to Indianapolis so that we could be there next week, or week after next when we get back, and I could go to Chicago for the OPC General Assembly and Nancy could stay with her mom for a couple of days. But in the Lord's providence, that enabled us to go to Gordon Ketty's funeral this past Friday. And uh, Pastor and Professor David Whitla said this in preaching from Psalm 73. The promise of intimacy of God's held hand doesn't expire when you expire. Oh, no. Rather, it's the promise of a firm hand holding yours through the battle with the last enemy. And it's a strong hand that won't let you go. And then he said, Gordon didn't slip away this day last week, a week ago Friday, because Christ let go of his hand. Rather, it was Christ's strong hand, gently pulling his faithful servant through the veil. This affection from God to us. Glorious perfection, eternal, glorious perfection, eternal affection. And how is that eternal affection shown to us? The third point that I would draw to your attention is church-bound redemption. Not everyone gets that, and it's a drum that I beat often because I think the Bible beats it often. Sometimes people get tired of hearing me say it, but I'm going to continue to say it every time I see the Bible saying it. And I see the Bible saying it here in these verses. You might say, I don't see the word church there. It's not there. What does God do? It says He saves His people from isolation into His city, into the community of His people, into what we know to be the church. Verses 4 and following, people were wandering without a city. They were homeless in the truest sense. They were hungry. They were thirsty, both, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. They were fainting in their soul. All a description of the reality of you and me apart from Christ. Or you and me, if we are the people of God, but we're living in rebellion against God. You see, that can happen. Maybe it's happening in your life. Maybe you say, I'm a Christian. But are you pursuing after God? Are you loving God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength? And these here, picture, were in distress. And they were fainting in their soul. And they cried out to the Lord. And that's the theme that we see over and over in this psalm. In their distress, they cried out to the Lord, and he heard them. And he gathered them. He gathered them from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. And he gathered them into a city, his city, where he led them by the right path, the right way. And he led them into his dwelling place. December 29th of 2019 was the last time that all of our kids and grandkids were together with us for worship. You see, we're we're scattered to the north, Lisbon, New York, to the south, Australia, New Zealand, to the east. I guess we're in the east and Zachary in the midwest and right north, south, east, west, to Allen in the Laramie, Wyoming. We're hoping, if the Lord is willing, next year, uh, uh, in honor of our 40th anniversary, we're, we're calling all the kids, let's let's figure a time. We can all get together. We're hoping that would happen. What a, What a special privilege it is to be with those who are part of our physical family as part of God's spiritual family. To be gathered together from the north and the south and the east and the west. But this is the family of God. And you have been gathered into the church. God redeems his people into the church. He always does. And some of you may read these verses and think, I know that wandering. I know that spiritual lostness. I know that experience of looking for God and his love in all the wrong places. Of choosing over and over, not God's right way, but the wrong way. And again, I don't know you. It may be that some of you today are still there. And maybe all seems well, but let me promise you this. Distress will come. And if it doesn't come in this life, so call to the Lord in your distress. God Saves his people into his church. Acts 2.47, those who are being saved, he added to the church, David. And you, Springs Reformed, is the family of God. Not exclusively, not even exclusively among the churches in your community, but you are the family of God. You are the church of Jesus Christ. And you who are members of this congregation, God has gathered you. Some from the north, some from the south, some from the east, some from the west from the west, and he has led you in the right path, and he has settled you into his church. He has done that for your good and he has done that for each other's good. God will use you as his church together. God's redemption is always church bound, and what's the result of this redemption? It's the fourth of these wonders that God has done for us, it's what I will call soul satisfaction. Not quite poetic there, but a little bit of shuns at the end of all of those. Hopefully you caught that. Glorious perfection, eternal affection, church-bound redemption, and soul satisfaction. Look in verse 9. He satisfies the longing soul. What is it that you long for most in your soul? What is it that you really want that you don't have? And let me remind you that sometimes that is your idol. Because it's only Christ who will really satisfy your soul. Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. How many of us can sing those words And not feel a twinge of guilt. Not feel like, you know, there's a lot of things I really like, Lord. But in the Lord's mercy and grace, He helps you understand that it's Him that satisfies your soul. It's in Christ that the longing soul will be satisfied. It's not in success. It's not even in good things that God gives. Marriage, children. Grandchildren. We're looking forward to number 20 this summer, Lord willing. 20 born, already alive. God fills the longing soul with satisfaction. A friend said to me, I'm going to church because I've tried everything else with no success. Well, that's a good first step. And if you're here at church just because you've tried everything else and there's no success in that, I'm glad. Keep coming. But you need more than just going. You need to be saved into the church, redeemed into the church, to have your longing soul, your hungry soul, filled up by and with God. Everything else that offers soul satisfaction is a lie. And some of us can tell of listening to those lies, of being deceived by those lies, of reaching out for the wrong things, of finding, the satisfaction that was promised to be an empty promise. I don't know if any of you are in advertising. It would be hard to be in advertising as a Christian because so much of advertising is false promises. Now, if you have a product that meets a need and you can tell people about that, there's nothing wrong with that. It, maybe some of you have experienced this, a little bit of tension as you've worked on your resume. I mean, it feels like you're, you're sort of beating your own drum. There is something to say these are the things that I've learned and these are the skills that I've had and here's how I like to put them into practice. But advertisement promises to satisfy you. This car or this phone or this house or uh, this dress or these shoes or whatever it is. I read this quote on the Internet. If it's on the Internet, it must be true. Stop searching for soul satisfaction because the power is within you to create the life that you want. Hogwash. Only in Christ. The world offers glamour and glitter, and sometimes our little existence in the church of Jesus Christ looks pretty boring. But you know, boring is not bad. The older I get, the more I like boring. I hope, you can ask my wife, I hope the older I get, the more I don't become more boring. But ordinary is okay, ordinary is sometimes great. As we find not in the things out there, but in the God who lives within us by the power of his spirit. Satisfaction. Jesus makes clear that it's only in him that we're going to find that. He looked at the multitudes. Matthew tells us in chapter 9 he was filled with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. They needed a shepherd. He knew they needed a shepherd. He sent out his under-shepherds to gather them. And he says, as Matthew records in in chapter 11, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that invitation still stands today. If you've never come to Christ, come to him. And if you're in Christ, but you're being distracted by the things of this world, come back to Christ realize that his gentleness his lowly heart his being his existence his redemptive work is what will satisfy your souls and nothing else will nothing else will why should you give thanks to god because of his glorious perfection because of his eternal affection because of him granting you church-bound redemption and soul Satisfaction, And just as we close, how to give thanks? Two ways. Say it. It's not enough to be thankful. The Word of God calls us to give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Those he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. I don't know the context of this, and I, I should ask my dad, and I, I never think of it when I'm with my dad, but he, when I was a boy, I remember him talking about having say-so meetings at church. I suppose we'd call them testimony nights now, where people came together to say, God has been good to me. Perhaps a testimony of redemption, perhaps a testimony of just some particular goodness of God. And I don't think you have to call it a say-so meeting to do this, as the psalmist calls us. Give thanks to God. Why don't we do it more? Are we embarrassed? Are we held back by the inconsistency of our own life? Are we too busy? Can we just not be bothered? What did Jesus say to the Samaritan who healed of leprosy who came back? Tell me in the nine. Be in the one, this foreigner who came to give thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let me just encourage you. After church today, whether it's before Sunday school, after Sunday school, later in the afternoon, tell someone else. Hey, it doesn't have to be someone in this group, but I think you'd encourage each other if it was someone in this group. Tell someone else a way in which you want to give thanks to God for his goodness to you. And then Maybe do it after church this evening. Or maybe do it after church next Lord's Day, morning and evening. And maybe start doing it on Monday. On no, Tuesday. Because Psalm 96 tells us we only have to speak of the salvation of God on the days that end with the letter Y. Tell of his salvation day after day. So this doesn't say it. I think it's a legitimate application. Give thanks to God. Day after day after day. And I trust that you do. We bow our head before a simple meal or a fabulous meal to give thanks to God. It, it always warms my heart when we're in a restaurant. I was with a, a co-worker in a restaurant the other day, and an older couple reached across the table, took each other's hand, bowed their heads, gave thanks to God. May it be our practice That men and women and boys and girls here at Springs Reformed Church would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. How do you give thanks? You say it. But secondly, how do you give thanks? You sing it. This is a song. (laughs) I think you know that. It's part of the songbook of God. And the Psalms are given to us as a window into and as a guide to our soul. The perfect God composed these words for his people to sing as an expression of our own soul. And sometimes it's in the singing that we find the condition of our soul changing. Maybe you've had that experience. Trouble in the week. Hopefully not, but maybe you had a little squabble with your wife or your kids on the way. To, and you come in kind of grumpy. And then there's a call to praise, and you stand and you... You begin to hear the praises of God's people and you begin to sing the praises of God's people and your soul changes. It's sometimes in the singing that God changes our soul. It's it's hard to be mad when you're singing a praise song. Well, you can try it, but I think it's hard. Singing does that. The singing of God's people together. Many of us have enjoyed the experience of RP International. We're small by the standards of the worldwide church, but for us, a really big expression of God's people singing all together, and I don't know about you, but if at all possible, we won't miss an international conference, and we won't miss those times of singing praise. Golden Bell's coming up. I think registration's due Wednesday. There'll be an opportunity for you as a presbytery to sing praises together. But each Lord's Day, morning and evening, you sing praises here together as your church. You express thanksgiving to God. And sometimes you express distress. Oh, God, my soul is in despair. There's a group that I was involved with. And uh, each week we'd have a meeting, and, and uh, they'd usually give a recognition of birthdays. I think maybe they did that the first meeting of the month, anybody had a birthday that month. And then they would sing happy birthday, sort of. I mean, I... I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating, it was the worst singing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Off key, different tempos. I mean, I found it hard to sing because I didn't know who to follow. I mean, it really, you, you you think I'm kidding. If you heard it, you'd know that I wasn't. But you know there's something beautiful about it. This group of just ordinary people wanted to say to each of these birthday celebrators, you're important. And they might not have thought, we can't sing very well, but we're going to sing to you because you're important. My mother couldn't sing very well. Praising God, bringing her off tune singing. I miss that. So let's sing. How do you get thanks to God? You say it. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. How do you get thanks to God? You sing it. Oh, that we would say and that we would sing our thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works. Pray with me that God would make it so even more in each of our lives. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, it'd be great if we just counted your wonderful works toward us. For some of us who've lived a longer life, Good thing we can count past a 100. But maybe we can only really think of one. That you, God, saved me, the sinner. That one's enough. But you did not withhold your own son. Will you not with him give us all that we need for life and godliness? And so I pray for these, your people. That they would be more and more a thankful people. I don't pretend to assume that they're not a thankful people. That we can never be thankful enough. Oh, that we would give thanks to you because of your wonderful works. To men and women and boys and girls. To us. So may it be that this would be a congregation who says thank you to God in the presence of each other and others. And may it be that this would be a congregation of God's people that sing with joy their thanks to God. And you, Lord, will be glorified. And we, your people, will be built up and encouraged. And we pray that you would continue the work that you have begun up through and continuing on beyond the day of Jesus Christ, in whom we pray, even our Lord Jesus. Amen.